0: Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be back in your company this afternoon. Beautiful, hot Wednesday here in the High Felt. Um, And, of course, this is Rabbi Michael Katz coming to you live in Johannesburg. And we are talking about things Jewish on Judaism 101.9. Well, we have uh, not spoken since the, the Yomim Tovim. We didn't have a, a chat last week, unfortunately. But back this week, I've been thinking a little bit about some of the things perhaps that have become even more noticeable now that we have gone back to shul, that um, shuls are reopened, that we are trying our utmost as rabbis and as uh, communities to ensure that everybody is safe and that uh, davening is back to where it should be and that we can offer and provide all the services and all the um, wherewithal of a Jewish community, albeit in a very, very different fashion. And um, what has been the actual impact on each and every one of us? And I think that everybody will agree that the impact has been great. There have been great impacts upon our attendances in our various shuls. There have been great, a great impact on um, the socialization, the social atmosphere of the shul, of the community. uh, There's been a great impact on relationships, Um, and that is not only within the family but without. There have been all sorts of impacts and different effects that have taken place on each and every one of us, on us as individuals, on us as families, and on us as communities. How do we and what should we use as a yardstick, perhaps, of um, how to forge a way forward and not allow ourselves to fall into the trap of um, keeping everything the same. Um, You know, there are a lot of people who are moving out of, the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus headspace in many regards. But in many others, they are keeping it there. In fact, they seem, or it certainly seems to me, that people are digging in their heels even more so in certain dimensions of it. There are parts that have played directly into the hands of, let's call it, the Yetzir Hara, our uh, negative impulses and inclinations, and that have wanted to keep us in that kind of a cocoon. Now, many of you may know, and uh, I have shared it with you here before, that part of what I do as a, a rabbi is also that I have been for many years a prison chaplain. Now, it's a fascinating thing when it comes to people being incarcerated, and this doesn't only apply, of course, to Jewish people being incarcerated, anybody who is incarcerated, anybody who is locked up in prison. Um, At first, there is the shock. At first, there is the terror of uh, what this dark and terrible place is going to hold for you. But interestingly enough, the human being is a very, very adaptable creature, we become adapted to the new environment. We start adapting. We start learning how to function in that environment. The human being is incredibly, incredibly adaptable. And as we adapt and as we get closer and closer and closer to that environment or more involved with it, let's rather put it, that we are more involved, that is our New reality, as people have been talking about for uh, so long now during this COVID-19, new reality. That as we get uh, more involved with that environment and in that environment, so we uh, stop entirely the yearning to get out and to be normal once again. And we start looking at this new reality as becoming something that is not only so much, um, uh, not only acceptable, but it becomes so much part of us. I've often thought about, and I'm sure that many people have probably noticed or even written about this, but you know that when people are in a uh, prison environment, they start talking in an accent that is peculiar to that prison environment. If the prison, for instance, is dominated by, um, as it used to be in the olden days, I guess, um, Afrikaans and Afrikanerdom as kind of the uh, the power that was in that environment, people started speaking after a pretty short while of being in that environment. The accent changed. Now, you might say, okay, so the accent needed to change, and if you want to take it further today – and people who are in a prison environment in South Africa, the accents become that of the majority of the people who are in that particular prison or that particular jail cell. They start, people start adapting even the way they speak. Now, you and I can understand that. I guess anybody who's been in any kind of a, uh, a work environment that's completely and totally different, we start adapting even the way we speak the expressions or one thing, but the accent and the modus operandi and then the mannerisms, um, all of these things change. All of these things become adapted to and according to that environment. It's an amazing thing. And then something happens. And that is that once the person has adapted, and, and no, nobody ever says, you know what, I'm so comfortable here. I can't wait to spend the rest of my life here. People don't do that. There is always this yearning to get out. And, of course, there have been famous uh, prison breaks and so on where people have got out of it or where they've certainly made that attempt. And there's always this sort of yearning to get out of that kind of an environment. But people become adapted to it. And then getting out of it becomes really, really difficult. Reintegration into society is one thing. But the feeling of safety, of security, strangely, that the four walls around you bring to you, makes it, and it's often been spoken about, you become cocooned. You become in, You become encased in this iron or steel or brick or concrete cocoon where you are entirely encapsulated within it. And then the breaking out of it, the getting out of it, the leaving it is something that the human condition doesn't want to do anymore. It becomes comfortable in that environment. You're uh, you no longer are um, are um, needing to make the kind of decisions that you have to make when you're out of there. You don't have to confront the relationships that you have to confront when you're out of there. You don't have to um, earn the living that you have to earn, earn when you're out there. There are so many things that come into play the moment a person walks out of a prison environment, walks out of that jail cell, there are so many things that come into play that the person themselves, while they are in that cocoon, while they're in that jail cell, while they're in that environment, do not want to leave. And when they don't want to leave, we have a complete change that happens. There is an institutionalization that happens within the person's mind, within their body and their soul. They become institutionalized. The behaviors are of that place. And anybody who has spent long enough inside that environment becomes so conditioned to it that it becomes almost impossible to get out and to readapt to a normal society outside. And I think that to a much lesser degree, we have started seeing certain remnants or certain um, ideas and ideals of this type of a institutional environment. We have become coveted. We have become coroned. We have become involved in that kind of an environment that we are running the risk, at, in some way and in some stage, of not enabling ourselves to actually carry on our normal day-to-day lives. And I'm having this conversation with you particularly pertaining to our communities, to our shuls, to our uh, Torah, to our Yiddishkeit, to our Judaism. And um, we need to question, is this right from a Jewish point of view? We're not going to be belittling at all any of the protocols, any of the necessities from a health point of view. But we need to warn and we need to think about what we're doing to ourselves from a spiritual, from a social, from a Jewish point of view. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, welcome back to everybody. It's wonderful to be in your company. It's Rabbi Michael Katz here with you on Judaism 101.9. And I'd like to give you a little bit of a different perspective on what we introduced just before the song and what we introduced just before the uh, visit to the shops, let's think about what happens when people become institutionalized and what happens to people when we get into a cocoon and we can't move out of there and what is happening to us from a Jewish point of view, from a spiritual point of view, when we think about um, our inability and the inability of many to actually move out of The space that we believe that we have created that is safe, that is protected, that is um, um, comfortable and that we therefore feel and many feel that we're not going to venture out. We're not going to go to shul. We're not going to um, uh, go back to our routine of being in shul on Friday night or Shabbat morning or whenever it was. Um, not anymore because of COVID-19, not anymore because of um, a lack of social distancing, not anymore because the shuls aren't keeping to the protocols because they are, it now becomes, I don't feel like it, it now becomes, I've got used to diving at home, I've got used to being in that kind of an environment. So let me just address this perhaps with you, coming from a a little bit of a different angle. I'm sure that everybody knows that there are times when we read the Torah. The reading of the Torah takes place, as you may or may not know, on every Shabbat. It takes place on every Yom Tiv. It takes place on every Rosh Chodesh, New Moon um, uh, Days. It also takes place on every Monday and every Thursday as well as on Shabbat afternoon. So we have Torah readings, public Torah readings. Yes, that's what the rabbis always talk about when they talk about the portion of the week. So otherwise known as the sedra, from the word seder, which means the order. The Torah is divided up into a number of different portions, a number of different sedras. In fact, there are 53, 53 different portions. So the whole Torah divided up into those portions. Now, Jews, we don't usually go by chapters and verses. We don't say, well, in chapter this verse, that that's not Jewish expression. That's not a Jewish way of talking. Jewish way of talking is which parasha is it in? Which sedra is it in? The sedras themselves are divided up into further portions. Each sedra so if you were to have, for instance, this week we're reading about Noah, we're reading about Noah and uh, all his trials and tribulations and all the things that happened with the flood and then coming out of the ark and the animals and so on, all of those things leading right up to the time of Abraham, Abraham Avinu, is introduced to us at the end of this week's Parsha, this week's Sedra as well. You have the Sedras, which are... These 53 different portions as they're divided up to take us through the entire year till Simchat Torah of next year in 2021. We have these different Sedras divided up into different portions. Those portions are then read for different aliyot, we call them, different call-ups that take place on any given Shabbat. So on this coming Shabbat, seven Guys will be called up to the Torah, starting with a Kohen and then a Levi and then five others and so on. And if you look in your Chumash, if you look in your um, Torah book, you will see that there is a place, a mark, a space where each call up should take place, and each person is then read from the Torah or reads from the Torah that particular little piece. So each one divided into seven. There are 53 parishes divided into seven. And these portions are further divided up because on a Monday, on a Saturday afternoon, on a Monday morning and on a Thursday morning, we take out the Torah and we read the first part divided into three, further division into three for the, um, for, th- for three guys who are called up. And that is of the coming weeks. So, if you're to take tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, in shuls around the world, three segments will be read from the beginning of the Parsha of Noah, of Noah which is going to be read on the Shabbat. Next, Saturday, on Saturday afternoon, we'll start reading Lech Lecha, all about Avraham Avinu being told to get up and to go out of his space, out of the house of his father and to go to the land that God promises him. That happens um um starting from Saturday afternoon, first portion read divided into three on Saturday afternoon, and then again on Monday morning, then again on Thursday, and then the entire Sedra, all seven sections that we described before of that particular portion are read on Shabbat morning. Now why was it, first of all, that there was this idea of reading the Torah publicly on these different occasions. Well, the interesting thing is, when it's dealt with in the Talmud, we actually seem to have two different um, foundations for this all. First of all, the Talmud tells us that Moshe, Moses instituted that the Torah should be read three days a week. And why is this? It was all based on the concept of, A person not being able to travel, so remember the Jews were moving around in the desert, having to travel for several days. They couldn't travel without water, and the distance that uh, they traveled in terms of time was a three-day journey. You needed water, um, a person cannot live without water for three days, and uh, then they'll expire, and therefore, since Torah is, con, con, is is compared to water, so too a Jew was taught, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses wanted to teach by this subtlety, the fact that we cannot live without Torah for more than three days. We cannot go for a three-day period without water. We cannot go for a three-day period without Torah. And so the concept of Torah being read, of people learning from, of hearing the words of Torah, was instituted by Moshe, by Moses, to instill within us this concept, this idea of never would there be a three-day period without water, and therefore from a physical point of view, and so from a spiritual point of view, there cannot be a three-day period without Torah. We need it. We cannot survive without it. The Talmud also gives us a tradition that Ezra, described Ezra and the men of the great assembly introduced, the practice of reading the Torah on Mondays and Thursdays. What does it mean that they introduced it? Well, we all know that Mondays and Thursdays were the days, I mean, either it was Moshe or it was Ezra and the men of the Great Assembly. Who actually was it and how did it come about? Well, Mondays and Thursdays were the days of market um, interactions that took place. And it was actually there that they, decided that on Mondays and Thursdays, these Torah readings should take place in a public environment. And according to the Talmud, it was while Moshe had actually discerned that Torah should be read on Shabbat, as well as on Monday and Thursday, it was Ezra the scribe and the men of the Great Assembly who established that Torah should be read in a bigger way on These other days, on Mondays and Thursdays, because Moshe Rabbeinu had only decreed that three verses should be read. It was Ezra, together with the men of the great assembly, who lengthened this number to ten verses minimum. A minimum of ten verses that have to be read for each day, such as a Saturday afternoon, a Monday, and a Thursday in the build-up to the Parsha that is read in its entirety on that following Shabbat. So, to reconcile Moshe Rabbeinu and his establishment of the three times a week Torah readings and Ezra the scribe and the men of the Great Assembly establishing Torah be read on um, uh, Mondays and Thursdays, is that they lengthened it, they made it even longer. It was more of a Torah reading. And it had something to do with this idea of the people being gathered for market days. And we've got to remember that if we're gathering for market, how could we forget Torah? We've got to remember that if we're um, enabling ourselves to be in a work environment, how could we not be in a Jewish environment, in a shul environment? We've got to make sure that we have all not our ducks in a row, but we have our checks and balances and that things don't look to be out of kilter from a a physical and a spiritual point of view. If we're taking care of the physical, we need to take care of the spiritual. And is that not the message as well of the idea of, the water being compared to Torah, the same as we cannot live without water, so we cannot live without Torah. And this is the way that we Jews try to balance our lives and try to make sure that our lives are in sync and try to make sure that we do not put the physical before the spiritual and then some. And so we could wax lyrical about all of this in an even bigger fashion, um, but let's suffice it right there. Let's also just add to it something fascinating, something interesting, and that is that the Torah reading takes place on a Shabbat afternoon for a seemingly different reason. Here, mysticism, Kabbalah brings the fascinating idea that Shabbat afternoon, because, of course, if you read the Torah on Shabbat morning, it's enough. Why do you read it again on Shabbat afternoon? Why do we take the Torah right out and read it then? It seems to be that um, we have got kind of into the mode of thinking that that every afternoon, the afternoon mincha time, is a time of judgment. It's a time of kind of uh, where harsh decrees could be happening, where difficult things are happening. That's maybe one of the reasons why we daven mincha, why we have mincha in the afternoon. But this doesn't apply to Shabbat because at Shabbat, in fact, we're told that this is kind of the choice of the choice time. This is the best of the best. This is the highest spiritual kind of time of Shabbat. Yes, everybody feels a little bit, I guess, downhearted when Shabbat is about to leave, when that beautiful, beautiful day of Shabbos is going to be leaving us, but it is a powerful, spiritual, energized moment. And it's at that time, we're told, from a mystical point of view, that Torah, that has the ability to reconcile what we call chesed and gevurah, it has the ability to reconcile kindness And severity. It has the ability to reconcile these things because that's what Torah is about. We bring it into that kind of a vibe and that kind of an environment because it is going to affect the atmosphere. Because it's going to change something fundamental in the hearts and minds, the ears of everybody that it reaches. That Torah reading is essential for the harmony of the world for bringing about something, um, a, a, a fundamental spiritual change for all those who can hear those words of Torah. And the Torah reading there is not about laying down the law. This is not about reading laws and saying, yeah, these are the laws that you have to follow. No, this is instilling into the atmosphere, putting into the environment the words of Torah which can and do play such a fundamental role in bringing about spiritual and physical harmony within all those who hear it and all those perhaps who don't as well. And so there's something very, very powerful about the concept of the Torah being read. And particularly, of course, when it is read, in public, you know, you can't read the Torah. You don't read from the Torah when you're sitting at home. The Torah being read is something that can only take place in public. And, of course, there are so many of our tefillot, so many of our prayers that can only take place in public. And public means that there has to be a minion. And public means that these things are done where the various responses are elicited from the chazan and the community and so on. This type of prayer has been at the very core of Judaism from the, the, uh, the, the, the beginning of time From the beginning of our understanding Of what the Torah wanted from us There was always this idea of community There was always this idea of communal readings Of communal prayer And it wasn't only for me The one who is going there But it's actually for the community And then of course extrapolating from there It is for the entire world And so we've got to remember That the role that we play as Jews in praying in shul, in davening shul, let's perish the thought that this is all about me, that this is all about my needs or my abilities or my desires or what I want to do. There is a communal responsibility, <clears throat> there's a responsibility to the community, and there's a responsibility to the world, and there's a responsibility for us to see to it that not only do we not go without water, but that in fact that um, atmosphere is created for everybody within the community and without as well. And so we have to be really, really careful about um, having spent the last number of months in our isolation and having spent the last number of months in an environment that we have now gotten used to and become comfortable in and being able to say, you know what, I'm actually enjoying this. I actually like it. It's actually great. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If that is your motivation, that it's all about you, davening at home, yes, wonderful. And, of course, you can connect with God at home. And, of course, we're not talking to people who are not well or who are aged and so on. Of course, we've got all of those things that we have to take into account. But if we're talking about only doing this or only staying home because I've become used to it, I've become comfortable with it, it is something that I am enjoying, we have to be very careful that we are not, with that, wiping away um, a huge, huge tract of what Torah Judaism is actually truly all about. We'll be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Yes, wonderful to be in your company this afternoon, Rabbi Michael Katz on Judaism 101.9. We've been talking about the obligation that we have for communal prayer, for community prayer, and uh, perhaps to start rethinking um, some of the thoughts that we have developed over COVID-19, over coronavirus, over the last several months, where um, you know, it's easier to dive in at home, it's more pleasant, it's um more personal, and perhaps people have even told me, as they've told many, I suppose, I connect, I seem to connect with God even better. Well, That is only one side of the story, because that part of the story is wonderful. Yes, of course, you can connect with Hashem everywhere. And yes, of course, you can daven everywhere. And yes, of course, we're talking about able-bodied people who could and do have some form of an obligation to be back in a shul environment, of course, where it is safe, and of course, where all the... The worries, the uh, issues are being uh, cared for and looked after, and I must say, I think in an exemplary fashion by our shuls around uh, the country where – There has been an absolute buy-in to uh, everything that is um, being asked from a protocol point of view, from a uh, health point of view, from a medical point of view, to ensure the safety of anybody who comes into that environment. We need to start reconsidering as individuals whether my approach is absolutely correct to davening at home, to staying at home, to missing my Friday nights, to not being there on Shabbat morning, to uh, missing the minyanim, uh, missing the Torah readings and so on, once they're available and once they're there in a safe way we no longer have the ability to make the excuses um, uh, willy-nilly of the fact that we are just not going back we're not going to be in that environment and um, because it's easier, nicer uh, more pleasant Uh, whatever the reason is for me to actually stay out of it and stay at home. And in fact, if we think about it, there's actually a very, very pertinent reference to all of this in this week's Parsha. So while we're talking about the portion of the week, while we're talking about the Sedra of the week, you know, there's an amazing thing that happens when Noah is in the ark. He's in the ark for that long period of time. He was coronavirus up. He was uh, placed in that ark. There was... Talk about social distancing. The entire world was wiped out and there was just this um, uh, um, structure and uh, this boat on which uh, Noah and all the animals and all his family uh, were um, harbored and they were entirely concealed from everything else. Talk about masks and talk about separation and talk about all of those things. But then an amazing thing happens. The ark comes to rest as we know, on the mountain, and there is dry land, and, and Noah establishes it beyond all doubt. Everything is fine. He can see the dry land. He can feel the dry land. He knows that it's dry. And yet, they don't venture out. They become cocooned. They become institutionalized. They become used to that environment. And God has to say to him, it's an amazing piece of Torah in this week's portion, where it says, say min ha to get out of there Noah. this is not the way that life is meant to be you and your family and everybody have to go out there and you have to fill the world and you have to do all sorts of great and wonderful things with everything that i have put at your disposal that's your job get out of that ark get out of that environment this is not reality this is not the way that it is meant to be ad infinitum we have to realize that this was a temporary measure that was put in place as long as there is a threat, as long as there is a virus, as long as there is a difficulty out there. But there comes a time where we have to get out of the arc, We have to go out of this um, uh, uh, headspace. And of course, we've got to be responsible. And of course, we have to um, abide by the protocols. And on the contrary, we've got to provide we've got to abide by them even more so now than ever. Because now is the time when it's very, very possible to drop your God, And now is the time where it's very possible to think that it is safe and it isn't. But if there is a framework of Torah, of Judaism, of Kedusha, of holiness that we can get into that is safe and that is um, uh, pertinent to this time, it's not only there that we can. It starts becoming, for those who are able to, it starts becoming an obligation once again. And we need to understand that, I think, and we need to come to terms with it sooner rather than later. Be back with you rather after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Oh, hi and welcome back. Yes, of course, we're talking about Noah and the ark the portion of the week, the Torah readings, and how they affect us and how we should live with them and how we should take messages from them into our times. Yes, it was um, the famous saying of the Altar Rebbe, Rabbi Zaman of Liadi, and uh, lived down through the ages, the fact that we need to live with the times. We need to take the portion of the week It's not living with the times of going along with whatever the world says, but we need to take the portion of the week, the sedra of the week, and we need to live with its messages. We need to find the meaning within it, and here we have the most incredible idea uh conveyed in this week's Torah portion of having to get out of the ark. There comes a time where the flood is over. There comes a time where it's dry land. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not still a threat. It doesn't mean that we can entirely drop our God. No, not at all. But we need to get back to and we need to get involved with the things that you and I, that each and every one of us should be doing. We need to be working once again on our relationships with each other. We need to be working once again on our (coughs) interactions with other people. We need to be working once again on our Torah learning. And yes, there have been the most incredible, beautiful um, offerings on uh, all the various uh, platforms of uh, Torah and of uh, learning and of study and of uh, interaction and so on. But there's a certain human element that we need to rekindle once again as well. And as long as these things can be done in an atmosphere, in an environment where things are safe, and yes, of course, we all know, that not everybody can be trusted. And we all know that, that there are those who are going to uh, break down and abrogate and flaunt and change and do what, whatever they feel that they, that they need to know. So this is all about education and it's about training and it's about ensuring that people keep to it. And yes, you and I, each and every one of us can be sticklers for every nuance of the protocols to make sure that people do not invade our space and that they do not come over and talk to us without masks. I know that they do not, uh, walk into a room without having sanitized and we can do all of those things. Yes, of course. But once we have the wherewithal and the understanding of how our shuls, our communities and our Torah readings and our communal prayers can and should function, we have an obligation to get back there and to participate and to understand that not only is this good for you, but it's also good for me. As long as we're keeping to the rules, as long as we're keeping to the regulations, nobody Is denying that at all. On the contrary, we need to be sticklers for them. We need to uh, dig them in even deeper, perhaps, than they ever did before. But we need to get back. We need to be involved in our Friday nights, once again, for which the South African Jewish community became um, internationally famous over many, many, many years. We need to get back to our Shabbat mornings. We need to get back to our Torah readings. We need to get back to our shuls and our environments. Within all the frameworks, making sure that you check in, making sure that you sign in, making sure that you're part of all the methodology that has been employed in order to make this all possible. And hopefully very, very soon the pandemic will actually be over and hopefully very soon we'll be able to get back to where we should be as Jews um, with our Torah, with our Yiddishite, with our Judaism, with our prayers, with our davening, with all of those things. And hopefully We'll be able to enjoy very, very soon the ultimate brucha, the coming of Mashiach. May he come speedily in our time with an end to all suffering, all pandemics, all difficulties, all problems, all issues, where there'll be actual peace on earth. I want to wish you a great rest of the week. I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead. Look forward to being back with you again. Same time, same place. Please go next week on Judaism 101.9.